Hey guys, so uh, welcome back. This time um, I wanted to do something different from a regular podcast and you would, of course, you would know this guest is familiar to all of you. He was there in one of our podcasts, Dr. Paddu, math professor, uh, vice dean of uh, George, George Mason uh, University in, uh, in around DC. So what I wanted to do this time is that, first of all, uh, you know, thanks for all the side comments and comments to me about, uh, uh, you know, what you liked about this problem solving podcast that, um, you know, I'd given last time. I know that it's a very important skill and I, I'm very passionate about that topic. There's a lot of things that are, that really separates the wheat from the chaff if you're really good at the problem solving from a work environment. And um, I'm glad that most of you liked it. And of course, I only scratched the surface and uh, hope you also enjoyed uh, today's uh, uh, messages about uh, how to think about problem solving. I apply just one framework that I, I told uh, last time to uh, some simple problems that we had. But that set me thinking, I thought that we should go a little deeper. We have some amazing resources with us and it'd be miss if we don't use the resources. So that's why I invited Dr. Padu again. And I know he's a little shy guy, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He is a vice dean of, uh, you know, um, uh, George Mason University. He's a professor of mathematics. But those are all something that he's, okay, he's not that proud. He's proud about it. But what he's really proud about it is, he's in this, uh, I would say, a journey to almost reinvent uh, the way math and science is taught to uh, especially kids and of course middlemen as well middlemen uh, I mean middle uh, uh, middle-aged people as well because he believes that learning math and applying math in real life is very two different things and we all should be thinking about the latter former is just I'm sure like you know we are most of us Indians I must have done like thousand calculus problems in my life along with this guy actually but I know that I haven't used a single calculus equation in the last maybe 15 years. So what have I done? Have I wasted my time in 11th and 12th? You know, that's a provocative question. And that's just one example. There are multiple examples and I've seen it in real life. He has seen it in, uh, so he has been in this journey where how do we teach core problem solving skills? And I thought I have a interesting kind of a fireside chat between the two of us because both of us have a very different perspectives here. And I hope you will enjoy. And I have a proposal and I want to see whether how that goes. So before all that, uh, Dr. Paddu, thanks again for your time. Okay, it's really fun. Uh, this time, let's talk official in terms of your, I mean, please talk like a professor of mathematics here, okay? Uh, because that's, the, that's what we're trying to do. So I want to first ask you a simple question. When you look at it from an academic standpoint as a math professor, as someone who has been in this, in this world for all, how do you define problem solving? Uh, first of all, thank you, Bala, for inviting me again, and uh, this time to share with you uh, uh, some of the uh, aspects of uh, what I do and also my uh, keen interest in problem solving. So when I think of problem solving from an academic point of view, I related back to a very famous uh, individual by the name uh, George Paulia. Uh, in fact, I encourage you to uh, uh, find his book. It's called How to Solve It. Now, in that, he mentions uh, four very important uh, steps. Uh, the step one is basically understand the problem. Uh, step two is about devise a plan. And step three is about carry out the plan. And step four is about uh, look back. What, I mean, what he really meant was at a very high level. But what he, if you drill that down, uh, you will see like, you know, uh, uh, understand the problem means do you understand all the words in the problem from an academic point of view? Uh, 
Do you know what they are asking? Do you want to restate it and things like that? The second principle, which is devising a plan is like, do you want to just guess and check? Or do you want to draw a picture? Or do you want to use a model? Or do you want to use a formula? Or do you just want to be ingenious to solve the problem? So those types of devising a plan. And then you carry out the plan. Now the carrying out the plan is where you need to understand the resources that you have and you don't have. And that's a very important step, I think, uh, where you start to think about efficiency, optimization. If you're talk talking about computer programmers, uh, you know, I ask them three important questions. Are you writing a cheap code? Are you writing a fast code? Are you writing a code that is going to be very accurate? Uh, so, uh, you know, it's very hard for big companies to do achieve all three of them. So, you know, how are you exactly carrying out your plan? And then the most important step is looking back. And this is where things like you have created something, is this matching uh, the real data? So this is where things like going back and checking uh, the, the uh, if it actually fits the scenario or because things are changing every day. So is the same model that you created, uh, the problem solving approach that you created, will it work for another scenario? And this is where things like if you want for advanced learners, sometimes this is called machine learning. And uh, so if I have to summarize problem solving into these four principles, uh, for uh, as an instructional uh, strategy, there is this thing called KWL. That means what I know now, what I want to know, and what did I learn from the process? I think this is uh, these are two different things that I just wanted to. So that's how, in a generic view, I perceive problem solving. But this is not just in academics. This happens in companies also. So. Uh, so I know that you work for, uh, you know, several top companies, including Google, McKinsey and all that stuff. Uh, I'm sure you have come across uh, these types of uh, problem solving approaches also, right, Bala? Yeah. I mean, that's, when you said this, I was like literally putting two and two together. So true, guys. So in my, on a, from a sort of a corporate world, especially the McKinsey world, that's where I really learned a lot on problem solving, the way, approach to problem solving. They always had this three frameworks you know, that they always use. And, you know, a senior consultant, they would know which framework to use to start. There's no one way to do right through. It's all about you start and then use the next framework, pick it up, then third framework, pick it up, and then make the problem. So the three frameworks that use, first one is called a hypothesis-based approach to problem solving. That means what, like, let's say you have a problem. You just make a, a, a like, a, you know, in, intuitive, you know, sometimes intuition drives the hypothesis. More, more often than not, you are more right than wrong in your intuition, right? So you make an intuitive guess that this is the solution for that problem. And then what you really do is you test whether that solution is true or not. If the answer to the test is true, then, the, then maybe that is your thinking in the right direction. You remember that uh, Mount Everest problem. No, that was a hypothesis problem solving where you guess that the Mount Everest is in the East Coast. Uh, so you just try to focus. So you literally saw a mountain. So yeah, maybe that is true. Then you do further work on it. If you don't see anything then done and the, the test is wrong, so you do a next hypothesis test. Very powerful, difficult, but very powerful, easy. That's one thing I've seen. And I connects with what you said also in terms of like, uh, you know, the steps I could see. The second framework, which is a very important framework when you know very deep in your, in, in your subject matter, is the issue, uh, issue tree. Now, issue tree is you know all the solutions that are available. Okay, but you don't know which solution is the one that is going to solve for the problem. So take an example. The best example I remember when I was taught this is like somebody's tennis is, uh, they're failing on their uh, serve game. Okay, so then, uh, you know, basically only there are three things that can go wrong. Either your serve is bad, your forehand is bad or a backhand is bad. One of these three. Yeah, all of this will come into those three, right? 
And then so you say, okay, if forehand is bad, then these are the signs that should show. If backhand is bad, then these are the signs that will show. If your serve is bad, then these are the signs that will show. So you have the data to tell you on the issue tree which one to pick up. So that is another thing. But in issue tree, you need to know the full spectrum of the solutions available. Otherwise, you can't do issue tree. So that was another very interesting uh, thing that we did. Third one is my favorite, uh, Patu. That, that I've always used this, which is the 80-20. You know, it is the, a combination of all three is, of course, where it will go. They're good consultants. They do the combination. 80-20 is very simple. Just assume that 80% of the problems will be solved by 20% of the issues. 20% of the uh, things that needs to be resolved. So focus on the minute you know 20% only you need to solve, the whole problem becomes a lot easier because you're not worried about the, 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 you know, the edge, the edge cases. Who cares? The edge case is the most difficult to solve, you know, but it is very easy to solve for like in the running parallels, right? If you want to have a fantastic long run for all the 16 weeks, man, that's a difficult problem to solve because you've got to train so many things. But if your goal is you want to have a decent long run for 10 weeks, little bit average uh, long run for two weeks and a very crappy hour runs you know for the next four weeks then you have a different problem to solve so that was the 80 20 we used to do so i'm really excited like how these two can come together yeah that's uh, so I, I as i was listening to you you know i could think of these frameworks as uh, the second one that you pointed out you know it's uh, it's like either binary or you have three cases and then you drill down into three cases that's a very algorithmic thinking Correct. and that's great so that's a very you know, people need to be good in those types of thinking also. But but the fact that uh, the 80-20 is very interesting because, you know, uh, it allows you to give that uh, engineering perspective of, uh, you know, the uh, you, you try to find out cases, that, you know, the MVPs, or you try to find out which one works, which one does not work. That I call it as a engineering-based, design-based approach, which is basically, if I want to build a bridge, I can build a little uh, model and then break it. And then test it, and then I can break it again. Then I can see which one is a mistake. So I think it's a uh, you know the inquiry-based approach, which is very algorithmic, and then the design-based approach, which is very like let me test it out, and then you know which cases work, which one. I think uh, there's definitely parallels in the academic world also, yeah. where we have these types of things also. So this is great, actually. <laughs> Madhu, uh, that uh, my second, I have another like a follow-up question on this. You know, I mean, you have by the way for guys. He was an engineer himself. It's not like he's just a math professor. He was a, you know, a master's in engineering. In fact, he was in Bits Pilani. I mean, when I was doing marine engineering, he was meant to Bits Pilani. He did a dual degree, five years. Which one you did? Electrical? Electrical or? electronics, yes. Yeah, electrical I electronics. Worked, uh, worked for General Electric for some time, so. Yeah, so he's an electrical electronics engineer. Like, I mean, all Indians have to be an engineering student, right? Remember our age group. And then he was also like, uh, you know, a math. He did his math, MSc math, I think, during that time. And then he kind of went towards math more and more. So. Now you and you've been a professor, teacher, lecturer, dean, vice dean, director of STEM for all of US, all kinds of things you've done for the last what 30, 40 years now. I know you've gone to IITs in Chennai, in India to give lectures, you're, you're a, you know, advisor to education board in a couple of countries, all kinds of things you've done. So when you, when you step back, Padu, like 30, 35 years of teaching, what are some of the things that you see that the way we approach acquiring skills for this problem solving, where some of the things that we are not doing it correctly, we as in the education world? So that's a great question. And it, uh, you know, it reminds of uh, you and I sitting in the class in the first bench and uh, listening to somebody telling us uh, exactly how to do it. So pretty much we were told what to do. 
and then most of uh, our uh, rigor was in memorization so people that could actually attack the that low level demand and low level task which i call as memorization uh, were the ones that were given credit uh, you know believe it or not those are the first rankers and all that stuff so i i now realize what i did not then is the is that memorization is for me is the lowest level demand and the lowest level task that uh, you can be tested on and uh, those people that are uh, going to be do you know that were really good they are probably sitting in a cubicle coding something that's probably what they are doing but, but at the same time uh, when you start to up the task and up the demand then you are starting to uh, ask uh, students or even in companies you are asking them to test out some procedures either without connections or with connections so when you do the procedures with connections then you are asking them to do a very uh, traditional approach like an algorithmic thinking but when you are asking them to do procedures without connections then you are doing the 80 20 type approach like you know you have a procedure but you really are not uh, you are in the ballpark but you are really good so you know there are several examples i can give you like for example uh if i ask you uh convert half into a decimal i mean what kind of a question is that that's uh, you agree that it's memorization right i mean if you say convert half to a percentage well what are you testing me on nothing you know it's just i'm just going to spit back whatever i remember uh, but if i give you a 10 by 10 grid yeah. and i ask you to uh, before i do that if i ask you let's say 3 divided by 8 then what you're going to show off is a long division but what you're just showing me off is basically uh, a procedure but did you make any connection no you just said move the zero down or put a decimal here or all the but you are able to do the problem so you here is an example of a procedure but you made no connections but if i give you a 10 by 10 grid and i say uh, show me 67% if a child or anybody can shade 67 boxes out of 100 boxes now they are thinking they know exactly what the share is now that is where i say okay now this kid is ready for a high level demand and a high level task this is when i give a 4 by 6 grid and if people are listening to me in this uh, right now 4 by 6 has 24 squares now if i say show me 67% even the top ranker in iit is going to struggle okay yeah. so this is what i i mean by upping the task and upping the demand and that's exactly how problem solving is it's you start off at a low level demand and low level task so if i have to summarize when we were trained we were probably at the first level and now i realize the importance of uh, the higher level demand and the only way you can get there in my opinion is uh, is to introduce concepts like learning by doing uh, you know uh, having uh, you know uh, not just thinking of it as a math problem but how does it apply to another area for example the interdisciplinary aspects of it and all that stuff so this is why i'm not just excited about stem i mean math but also how it applies to stem in general you know science technology engineering mathematics so you know and uh, you were uh, showing me a website uh, you want to say a little bit about that it's something interesting around that no that oh yeah yeah so uh, maybe i'll go there to that website you can yeah, yeah as you're going through it I'll, i can explain as uh, you know the usa science and engineering festival which was started uh, about a decade decade back uh, uh every two years they host probably uh, I, i i can easily say the biggest stem festival in the world uh why do i say biggest they bring close to half a million people in about two days they bring half a million people to washington dc convention center 
And uh, what happens there? Well, thousands of uh, agencies, organizations, companies, uh, universities, they all stand in booths and try to engage whoever comes by, why STEM is so important. Now, along with that, they also have some stage shows and they select some people to uh, come to the stage and show off what they are passionate about. And uh, I have been a speaker for that a long time, but this time it's going to be very interesting because it's the first time ever they're going to do a virtual stage show. So oh, each one of us have been asked to do a... <laughs> that's me. Yes, that's me. So I am, I am in the group. Uh, by the way, uh, in this group, in the past, we have had uh, people like Bill the Science Guy, Mythbusters. I'm sure if I uh, say those names, uh, even uh, Sheldon from Big Bang, I, I understand, has been... So each one of us are supposed to promote the awareness of a certain topic. So my goal is to turn math haters into math lovers, you know, so that's the whole idea. So, uh, so if you were to think of problem solving from even elementary, so, you know, at some point we learn division. And uh, uh, if I ask you a question like, what is four divided by half? That's a very hard question for children. But if I ask you, uh, uh, you know, and I can tell you most kids that are listening to it and most parents that are listening to it is also, they'll say, oh, uh, the fraction at the bottom, flip the fraction and multiply, uh, you know, half becomes a two over one and four times two is eight. But then I start to ask, wait a minute, what is that flipping? Why did you do the flip? Well, that's how you do it. You know, so most of the children I ask, most of the parents I ask, they say, that's how we learned it. But the problem is, you know, uh, why, why is that flip happening? Or, or can you explain it another way is where uh, most people, uh, uh, you know, start to dig deeper into understanding problem solving. So for example, if I ask you the same question and let me ask you, so if I were to turn four divided by two, what would be the English uh, sentence for that? Four, four divided by two. Uh, like a break uh, something into two halves. Yeah, two. So how many twos are in four? four okay. yeah. Let's turn the mathematics problem four divided by two into an English statement. How many twos are in four? Well, that's not so bad. If you have uh, Hershey chocolate, uh, four bars, I can group twos and two. So you say, oh, there are two groups. And that's the answer. Four divided by two is two. Now let's think back for a second. And you can draw this also. This is for visual learners as well. And what I, what I call as kinesthetic learners, that is hands-on learning. So now let's go back to the original question I asked. Four divided by half. What's the English question? Exactly like what we just did. So the question would be what? Like how many halves go into four? That's it. How many halves are there in four? So again, take four Hershey bars. Each of those bars, you can think, uh, think of it as divided into half. So if we count the number of half pieces, how many are there? Eight. Correct. And that's the answer. So I didn't do any flip and multiply or anything like that, but it's just a matter of, and so you can imagine children that can draw a nice uh, thing and divide it into little halves can solve the problem. But Unfortunately, credit was given to the kid that actually showed the four divided by half and multiply and all that. So while both kids are solving problems, even this kid is doing it visually, another kid is doing uh, practically by hands-on, and another kid is doing the traditional textbook approach, all of them deserve the same credit. In fact, I would say, you know, uh, uh, it's about efficiency, you know, how with the least amount of resources, how they are solving it and all that stuff. So, and connecting that math to real life. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking back, you know, on my side, by the way, guys, usamathfestival.org. That's the website. 
I will send you some more uh, or I'll ask Padhu to send a little bit more information. Seems like a, a sort of a math or a STEM palooza of uh, That's exactly right. Interesting, cool things that is for especially applied. It's all, I think, the applied math, applied science. And I mean, if there is a link or something, you can provide us in your in your speech, or if somebody else's speech also, please share. I know it's always good. For all people. those speakers that you see are all going to give 15 minute stage talks. So Beautiful. you have to register, and then you get an access to listen to all those stage talks from September 16th to 23rd, I and believe. It's free. So, so and it's free. It's free, completely free. Totally free. I want uh, all our kids, uh, my kids, even I want to do that. But I really think you should do USA Math Festival. Dot org, so STEM festival, I'll send you the link actually. Okay. If you just search USA Science and Engineering, uh, it should come up immediately. Got it. Okay. So on that thing, no, I mean, I know we, we I don't want to go, uh, uh, like, let's not do too, too long also in this one, but just a small thought about uh, what is it that I see uh, people who are, where the wheat gets separated from the chaff. You know, you talked about it on the, on the academic side and teaching pedagogy and all that. On my, on my, on the corporate side, right? A good problem solver and a, not a good problem solver has got no function about how amazing he scored in math and science in his university. I can clearly see that. It's got no function. Of course, brain is important. All that is important. The thing that differentiates in my mind, at least for me, is that who is more comfortable working in ambiguity? You know, that is what differentiates a good problem solver from a... Uh, oh, because the idea here is when you're solving problem, solution is not clear. But you have to dig your way into the solution. And for that, you have to be comfortable with ambiguity and keep your eyes and ears and everything open so that the data that's coming back in your nice framework so that you can start, uh, you know, um, pro uh, progressing towards converging to a solution. That process is a very, un uh, should I say, a very uncomfortable and ambiguous path for many. And folks who are in the top management I've seen have mastered that. They know how to do that. They can push people towards a hypothesis or an issue based, whatever it is. Even they themselves don't know the answer, but they know how to work in ambiguity and keep changing the course. And that is how they become big. And that is a core problem solving skill set that I think we need to teach people how to be. And I, I remember some of the guys who are energy is lost. Let's say, you, my manager is so bad. He's not giving me clarity in my job. You know, he's like completely not clear. The what I hear is, man, that means you're not a good problem solver. That means you're not helping your manager. The very fact that your manager is sharing with you his deep thoughts, the very fact that it is not structured, that means he's opening up his ambiguous environment that he's in for you to come in and try to give structure to him. That is an awesome opportunity to get promoted in your company, is my, my take. Anyway, that was something. So, uh, Dr. Padu, I know you, I want to give a, maybe just a very quick one because I want to finish it off quickly too. Can you give one example that is not, you know, mathematical solving a theorem like Chandrasekhar or somebody has did? Because I, I won't understand, I'm sure the audience. Something that people can relate to where a relatable problem in real life was solved using math STEM techniques just to, uh, you know, whet the appetite of people. Yeah, so thank you. So I think, uh, you know, uh, one thing I want people to understand is because we are in academics, we only don't just solve academic problems. In fact, uh, as I evolved through my academic career, I started getting very interested in using STEM for solving social problems. So, uh, and this is where I really got excited when United Nations introduced the Sustainable Development Goals. And 
one on you know the 17 goals and i would love to introduce this concept to many many students uh, and uh, adults too but uh, one of them for example is peace and justice and uh, they they identify all the challenges in peace and justice uh, that is out there and so one of the challenges is about uh, you know elephants being uh, killed not just specifically elephants but endangered species and how they are being poached and things like that so i got very excited in that uh, and uh, somebody from Africa and specifically in Tanzania wanted to actually solve the problem of poaching. Poaching is essentially elephants being killed uh, for their tusks. Each tusk, uh, by the way, in the black market is about uh, 50,000 US dollars and uh, rhino horn is about 1.5 million dollars. So you understand why this is happening. But uh, so I said, why don't we take a challenge like that and try to actually come up with a, a technique to solve it. And I like the fact that you said everybody goes for solutions very quickly. And uh, that's actually true. So uh, to help not to go to the solutions directly, I started also delving into uh, an area called design thinking and systems thinking. And so essentially to solve a problem, it takes you through these uh, fundamental steps where the first step is empathy, is needs assessment. And then you define all the problems. So empathy in the sense like uh, you kind of do a survey and find out what's going on, what is the situation and things like that. And then you define the problem. Who are the poachers? Poachers are the bad people killing the elephants. When are they hunting? Well, why are they hunting? All these different things. And then you do some kind of brainstorming to figure out which uh, question we need to go after. So in this case, uh, the people I worked with wanted to go after uh, how to catch the poachers. That's what they wanted to. Okay, then the next step is what is called as ideating solutions. And this is where they said, let's use cell phone, let's use this, let's use that. Somebody even said, put a robot behind a tree. And I said, are you kidding me? This is uh, Africa, you know? So, and then this is where uh, uh, somebody came up with, and I wanted them to also use STEM solutions because they were all engineers, uh, mathematicians, physicists. So just I realized maybe some people may not be aware of what is STEM. What is STEM? STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And I actually, uh, since you asked that, I will also say that uh, uh, people actually add the A to it to make it STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, mathematics, because you have to be creative when you use uh, STEM. Steve. So I, I actually added one more letter to it. I added uh, R to it uh, uh, and I to it. I'll tell you what I made. Uh, I made STREAM. R for reading slash writing without the W. So because we stream movies, we stream audio, we stream videos. So I said, why don't we stream education? So the whole idea was streaming science, technology, reading, engineering, arts, mathematics for inspiring the next generation. That's the ING. So we called it a streaming education. And uh, uh, I was fortunate to, you know, this, uh, I, to apply this to many countries right now. Many countries are already using this. This is one of the things I advice uh, ministries on uh, to in, uh, include this in the curriculum. And uh, I was very fortunate to uh, even receive a, you know, honorary doctorate for this uh, from Belgium. So the thing is uh, going back to that. So the same type of integrated approach. So when you ideate solutions, people come up with all sorts of ideas, but what happens is somebody will come up with their expertise. Like as you, you said, you know, uh, a computer science person will come up with a coding idea. Somebody will come up with another idea, but I wanted something that everybody can contribute and the contribution turned out to be uh, a drone. So the idea was a drone. So the next step would be to prototype it, which means you build it. And so, uh, in fact, if you actually see my 15 minute uh, pitch at the USA Science and Engineering Festival, I'm talking about a drone. And uh, so, and the drone 
uh, was the solution. So ended up building the drone together with all these students who were uh, different backgrounds. And then the last step is test. So it actually goes very well with the hypothesis, the testing, and the word that I think uh, in the I I would use for what you were saying, like the uncomfortable situation, the seniors and uh, uh, senior folks uh, in McKinsey and other places that they master is what you brought out is called nonlinear thinking. So we are all like, you know, this and then this and then this. And so when you do the nonlinear thinking, can I go from empathy to test, test to back to ideate, ideate to back to this thing? And that is where the competencies matter. And this is not something that is being trained in any university very well. So in fact, I have a class that I teach in spring for uh, uh, graduate students and undergraduate students because more and more students I see, they are very content focused, not competency focused. So I want them to develop these competencies. And I think this is why I was very excited to talk to you about how do we come up with a, a small pilot to actually engage people in these competencies. That was the whole idea. Let's talk about that as a last part. I mean, this is something I'm very passionate about. Clearly, everybody can see that you are, it's your, I'm just passionate about that. It's your career. So it's a whole new ball game. I'm passionate about it as well. So I always wanted to uh, do something which is, I mean, purely from a business, from a corporate side, that the youngsters who are joining, I always see they are awesome resumes. You know, Yale's and Wharton's of the world and Harvard's of the world. But the first sight of trouble, you know, they either have an emotional uh, EQ kind of a problem or their ambiguity problem or that they have their formula, formulaic brain is not being able to apply to a solution and they are like getting flustered, right? So I always want to teach this problem solving skill. I'm going to call it problem solving skill for the 21st century or something. Maybe you can say it better. Let's say I want to, let's create a course like this. And uh, this for the audience, this is one, one of the main sort of uh, message I want to give you. So I want to ask you, let's say we do a course, like a pilot course, training course of teaching this problem solving skills and frameworks with a good example plus uh, kind of a thing. Maybe, first of all, how long it would take, like a, a kind of a decent sized program. How would you structure it? Is it for a one size fits all or it's like a couple of based on the segments? How does it work typically? So uh, even the course I created, it required a pilot. So I would start with the pilot and probably uh, in the pilot, we will introduce uh, people. When I, I say people, it could be elementary, middle school, it could be high school undergraduates, it could be uh, middle, you know, people in the workforce actually currently working because the, for them, it will be reskilling, upskilling, you know, so it's the same concept. Uh, I would probably uh, make it a pilot of, uh, let's say, five uh, sessions. Each session uh, could be up to one to one and a half hours max, uh, but they would each focus on something. So uh, for example, uh, I want to make sure uh, they understand uh, where the problem comes from. So this is where uh, connecting, you know, you may be a very good math uh, uh, ability student or a science ability student, but then are you able to think of a problem that like COVID for example, or something uh, much higher. So I want to connect the, social uh, disciplines to STEM disciplines. And that's not done very well. So I would say that's the first uh, one type of competency is to be able to understand how to go from the context to competencies, to becoming uh, something uh, that you can, a problem solver. What type of problem solver is gonna be the next, uh, next few things. For example, you could become competent in data. So this is 
how do you collect data how to acquire and collect data how do you actually interpret and visualize data how do you actually predict with data and uh, and then slowly you start to and of course based on who we are catering to the word could become machine learning for somebody the word could become uh, just excel google sheets and actually doing a da uh, doing a dashboard i mean i can train third graders on that one so uh, so that's the data competency then uh, you want to definitely uh, understand digital competency so data gets translated you know you create some product but then the commercialization of that one so i would say i won't call it digital i'll call it the entrepreneurship competency where really you have to transfer from concept to you know like you guys do you know so how do you take that from uh, you know conception to actual product uh, you know creation and that product could be as simple as an app for yeah. that you need a competency of a mobile app you know we could even do a session on how to create a mobile app it's within uh, within half an hour everybody will be creating a mobile app that's the yeah. type of session i'm talking about so this content and the competency and then uh, maybe a business competency and this this connects to that uh, commercialization so you know and uh, so uh, and uh, for all this i would say one of the sessions will be totally on brainstorming competence that means uh, how do you actually uh prioritize uh from a list of problems how did we figure out that they we had to go after the problem uh, how to get the poacher when there were other problems yeah, yeah. how did we figure out that this solution is the better is better than everything else this techniques for this called decision matrix and all that stuff so teaching those types of techniques and uh, so getting those under your belt is the real deal in terms of uh, so if we finish these in five sessions i would say we have teased uh what is called as lifelong learning skills <laughs> you know creativity communication collaboration critical thinking and then finally citizenship these are i would say five c's that we are trying to build out of this whole program that sounds interesting so just to summarize what are the five different uh, sort of chapters you mentioned just the headlines so uh, let's say uh, uh, one is connecting to the social cause that's but one you know really understanding where are these problems around me uh, formalized like you know i don't want to just search for a problem i want to find it in a very systematic way that people united nations has formalized so that defining the problem basically second one will be what type of data skills i need to approach a certain problem it could be as simple as using excel i got that third one third one would be more towards slowly towards the digital uh, actually i would say the uh, uh, business entrepreneurial skills like for example how do i take from i have ideas now so how do i take it towards so this is where they start to understand uh, design thinking type ideas and then the third fourth one will be actual uh, digital competency so you know maybe they create an app or maybe they create something uh, very simple to really understand a website for example to actually uh, and then finally putting it all together is the is a lifelong learning skill competency you know uh, like being able to produce a report being able to do a presentation so that will be a shark tank type thing you know so really are you able to present what you just did you know and uh, they have to fail at it so they will learn what failure is and flexibility is and fluency is and all that stuff so that's the whole fascinating idea fascinating guys so five things defining a problem uh, or, or connecting with the actual reason why what is it it's trying to solve for that's the defining the problem finding the data or the information that is needed to solve the problem then getting the the you know moving towards the you know dashboards and like how to present the problem fourth one is the actual presentation in the business side of things fifth one is the learnings from that is that right is that what you said yeah. or a lifetime competency this is super exciting and uh, 
you know what? I'm happy to chime in on all these five on the, you know, from a McKinsey's problem solving. Yeah, we should co-teach this. We should co-teach this. Yeah. We will do this. So guys, here is what I, uh, I'm suggesting. Let us do this pilot. Let's see. I mean, we folks who are listening, we'll share it with not only the runners globe, I'm going to share it with my friends and others too. Um, I know, I mean, your time, first of all, getting Dr. Padu's time is not easy. I mean, I'm assuming when you say this, you have time, you're going to allocate yes, yes. five times uh, whatever time uh, you need. So we will do that. Um, say a class of maximum, what's the class size? 15, 20 would be ideal? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you have enough people, definitely 30 is fine, actually, because I would like to engage them in groups. Uh, you know, if we get 30, then we could do a one and a half hour session and all that stuff. So, so it'll be a Zoom. Uh, it'll all be done through Zoom. Please. Zoom and, uh, you know, very interactive. That's the plan, actually. So two separate groups, you'll do a pilot first, which is kids starting maybe up to fifth to seventh grade. Up to that level is one group. And then uh, high school, uh, college and up beyond, like college to up to, let's say, people, adults, uh, you know, would probably be the similar framework. So two sort of pilots, five hour, uh, a five or a five, one to one and a half hour sessions with Dr. Patu. I'll also share in over a period of, let's say, uh, five weeks, you know, every week, one class kind of a thing with some assignments. And I'm assuming you'll give some takeaways and that type of stuff. Uh, so folks, that's what I'm um, uh, proposing. I'll work with you. And of course, I want to make sure that, you know, it will be, uh, you know, from a, you know, I want to make sure that we compensate for some time, you know, that's the right American way. So we'll make it uh, maybe, you know, not crazy for uh, the audience. At the same time, it will be good for, uh, for, uh, for the time spent for you, Dr. Paddu. So I will come back to the group on that one. I'll also check my friends and everything. But I am very excited because this skill set, guys, that means I want to tell you from my this is the skill set I always lack in many people that we used to hire in Twitter and Google. Good candidates, but they fail in the connection, making the learnings that they got into the actual practical things. And it was so evident. Some people got it and those guys are already like, you know, senior vice presidents now in the next five, six years because they already have amazing skills. So in terms of the raw skills. So I am actually very excited. Please, uh, everybody, uh, let me know if... Uh, you guys are uh, in, in it for me. Um, and then, uh, I, I mean, I really want to, let's, let's make this happen. Uh, again, kids can come in, but more than kids, if you are, uh, you know, somewhere, you know, an adult is in the classes, uh, working for some time and you just want to reskill, retool, uh, I think you should do it. Just trust my words. You should just and do it. High school and undergrads, there is a research component here. So, you know, something that you can definitely, if you, after the five classes, you say, I love this area. I would do something. I want to do something more. Then I can, then we go deeper. deeper. <laughs> and yeah. for the younger kids, this is the time you guys can go after big science fair and things like that. But, you know, not the traditional science fair where you are just doing an experiment. This is something that you can change, yeah. uh, you know, uh, change uh, uh, some big things, impact and all that. So I absolutely want Dia to do it. Uh, I know because she'll be finishing her business school and she'll be going for interviews. And I'm assuming in, in this one, I'll also teach also from my side, like how to attend an interview, case interviews and that type of stuff, right. regular thing, which is all around problem solving framework only. Um, so we'll do that. Dia and uh, the, that college age group will be a beautiful opportunity. I wish I had an opportunity like this when I was young, learning directly from a dean of a you know, uh, uh, university. So in summary, guys, I just want to summarize this conversation. I, I just to make sure everybody's crystal, right? The summary I would start off with is problem solving is more art than science. You need tools, but just because you have the tools doesn't mean you become a good problem solver. Tools is just tools. 
you need an art to create the take the tools and create the sculpture that is art that is problem solving and that's what uh, dr padu and uh, is trying to say and i have told it in my own way and even though it is an art it can be taught in a very structured manner and learn this art it is not like you're a god given uh, you know natural born talent is only people who can do it this art can be learned and mastered and perfected that skill set what i'm hearing from dr padu is not being really taught in the universities right now a uh, few examples were told and on the practical side i can say that that skill set differentiates a top management and a, a just a, you know also ran uh, folks even in the corporate world because they know how to solve they work in ambiguity they keep a cool head they look at the basics they look at the data that is coming in make the decisions look back see whether the decisions made well that kind of stuff so that's the sort of the why we had this conversation the what here is a five session program um, we are going to name it i mean dr padu if you have a better name please tell but at least for now the name is problem solving for the 21st century that's really the name of the the program you like it okay let's let's brand it problem solving for the 21st century five 60 to 90 minute session detailing in a structured manner a decent introduction to the world of problem solving how do you go about doing problem solving from defining the problem to learning a skill set that can be applied in outside the problems as well that's the sort of the uh, the the value chain that we will build in this dr padu has agreed to give his time which is the most precious one uh, for for five sessions held in zoom up to 20 to 30 p uh, students can come because there will be subgroups of solving problems theory and uh, concepts will be taught in the class with some assignments and then uh, maybe some takeaways i don't know we'll figure it out it's a pilot course i know there is a lot of demand if this goes well well i really want to go you know this is this is the best you can give to the human beings uh, this is the best you can give it is like running on steroids because this problem solving is not just at work this is for everything from fam marital problems to the you know the the, the most important strategic problem this the framework is the same in my mind uh, so uh, that's what it is uh, please let me know uh, me and dr pratap if you want or i i'm happy to be the front end for this for now i, I don't want to disturb you uh, quite a you know busy person uh, on the side dr pratap can you send us the link or send me the link and i will send it to everybody the the yeah. usa uh, stemfestival.org Uh, I think that's yeah. something all kids need to go, and few other things that might be needed, and then uh, we go from there, guys. Looking forward. Thank you, Dr. Padu. Any last words? Yeah. So I think uh, I'll just pick up on the one that you just said. Is uh, you know, if I look back at how we studied, and actually I still see that uh, things have not changed a whole lot right now. Is uh, we all tend to the educational philosophy uh, in the East, the West, everywhere is like. Uh, here is the skill set goes all the problem and i put this in the uh, uh runners i also i remember is like and we need to change that and that's what i'm hoping this pilot and hopefully future uh, uh you know build up on these classes will be to change this philosophy from here is the skill set goes all the problem to here is the problem let's find the skill set to do it you know so that's the whole idea that's a fantastic way to end this uh... i don't know whether it's a podcast or fireside chat without a fire whatever it is but you have instilled a fire in me buddy on this idea so it is a fireside chat and let's go and make it happen on this one too thank sounds you good. sounds good thank you thank you bye <laughs>